folks well you know you're for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another week of the rec poker podcast uh i'm jim reed blusterini i've got the best freaking job in the world because i get to hang out here on monday nights with my poker friends and talk about poker um i have to thank our sponsors the running aces hotel racetrack and casino because uh, if it wasn't for their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do here uh, we get together for this podcast every monday night at 7 30 eastern it's free to join but the prizes are real uh, and if you're at all involved, if you're at all interested in what we do here at Rec Poker, I'd encourage you to just head on over to rec.poker and sign up for a free account today. All it takes is an email address and a smile. Um, we're going to be talking to Alex uh, Fitzgerald in just a moment. I'm super excited about this interview. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, but first, I have to thank a couple new premium members. Uh, Benny Gubo and Chris Jackson have taken the plunge. They're pledging their $15 a month to join our uh, training material and our study opportunities and our social events here at Rec Poker. So thank you, Benny and Chris, for your uh, support. And congrats to Benny. He played in his first home game this weekend and won. So I'm excited for that. Just goes to show, get more involved here at Rec Poker, and uh, the good things happen. So uh, they let me host the show on Mondays, but I am just one man. It takes a group, a village, a crew to make all the magic happen here. We call this group of wizards the Wrecking Crew. And if you want to find out more about me or the rest of the Wrecking Crew, you can just go to rec.poker slash crew. But listen up, because you're going to meet a few of them here on the show tonight, starting with producing co-host Chris Jones. Well, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5b5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. My name is Joe Coolis. So you can find me at Joe Cool PhD Cool with a K, um, or Elvita Eleven in the home game. And I'm John Somsky, also known as Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm uh, Rob Washam, Rabman Fifty, just about everywhere. And I'm Sasha Sutton, and you can find me at uh, Poker for Girls on Twitter. And you know him as Assassinato. It's Alex Ander Fitzgerald. Alex has been uh, part of the poker world for a long time by now. Um, I've been a big fan since uh, back in the day when he was um, uh, on the One Outer podcast with uh, Barry. Dropped a lot of great knowledge for poker fans around the world. Um, he's WCOOP and SCOOP event winner. He's final table WPT and EPT tourneys. He's a best-selling author. He's a poker coach. And uh, he makes time for his fans like us by coming on the shows like this. So, Alex, thank you very much uh, for coming here on the Rec Poker Podcast tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Now, you've worn a lot of hats in the poker industry. Um, and I think a lot of our listeners might sort of know a little bit about you and your story. Um, if it, I like to kind of start by allowing you to put yourself in a box a little bit here. So if our audience didn't know about you, and uh, someone met you in the elevator today and asked, so what's your role in the poker world today? How, how would you answer that question? I would say that's a really good question. I would say I'm primarily a coach now. I focus on mostly low to mid stakes uh, tournaments and cash games because that seems to be what most of my students want to play. I still play every week, multiple times a week. I still love the game. I still love to get out there and mix it up. But where poker never really came naturally to me. I had to work at it from uh, the last real job I had was when I was 18 years old. And I've been doing this yes. ever since then. And I'm 35 now. So uh, 
doing playing poker for money, I had to, I didn't really learn the game that naturally quickly. So I had to break things down for myself into simple explanations. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized those simple explanations actually really help low to mid stakes players mm. because it puts things in simple English. Whereas I don't think people mean to do it, but sometimes when they're explaining poker, they can get very complex, complicated, and that can just go right over the head of someone who is just coming into the game or might be into the game for the first couple of years. So I'd say my specialization is helping low to mid stakes players get to where they want to be in the poker world. Amazing. Well, we're going to uncover some great stuff today then. I'll just remind our Wrecking Crew members here in the booth, if you've got a question for Alex, just unmute and I'll call on you. And if you're watching live on YouTube, um, just type your questions into the YouTube chat and I'll make sure that we get them in front of uh, Alex here. I also want to remind our YouTube uh, chatters, we're going to be playing stake, study or stack later. So I need you to throw some names of poker players into the YouTube chat right now. Um, which is well, while we're doing the interview, just add some names of poker players into the YouTube chat so we can have some fun with Alex later. And of course, we're going to be giving away a prize later uh, for our food bank raffle. So stick around to the end of the show. You can win a prize just for showing up. Um, all right. So, Alex, let's let's just start there. We talk about sort of like simple rules and not making it too complicated and kind of giving people a roadmap uh, to better play when they're beginners. Um, what are what are some just very common mistakes? that even somewhat experienced players make um, just because no one sort of like told them in the right way that here's something that you should avoid. So it's not like limping too much, uh, but like a little more than that. What are some common mistakes you see in your, in your clients? So I think the one that is the most common I see is people will look at how valuable a hand is normally, and they'll want that to be how valuable the hand is constantly. So take two pair. So let's say you have 10-8 mm. suited, you're in a cash game, uh, low jack raises, high jack calls, you call on the button, big blind calls, the board comes 10-8-2, you have 10-8 suited, it gets checked to you, you bet half pot, uh, the big blind calls, uh, the turn's at 10, it gets checked to you again, you fire again, you think you're going to get called by ace-10, king-10, jack-10, 10-9, uh, Maybe there was a draw on the board. You think a draw is still going to call you. A flush draw was on the draw on the board. You think the flush draw is still going to call you. You fire again and the guy check raises you. Well, a lot of people will just force something right here. They'll go, well, two pair is normally a good hand. And I've been waiting so long for two pair. I really would like it to remain a good hand. But let's <laughs> say that big blind player is not, is someone you've never really noticed, is not someone you've never really seen bluffing is just kind of a go along to get along style player and if you see this person suddenly is a station and suddenly is just very excited about the hand well nine times out of ten they just hit their draw on the turn or they made a superior two pair or they are trapping with a set or something like that so you don't have to get overly invested in that spot but you'll see a lot of low stakes players primarily move all in right there to find out where they're at, which would be about <laughs> the worst of all possible worlds. And <laughs> right. you got to really break things down slowly when you're going through hands. And that's hard. It's not easy to think actively when everybody's staring at you, especially live and there's money, it, there's money involved. So what really 
I think helps is just doing a lot of practice hands before you get to the actual felt and working through would this person actually do this with this hand or what hands would they actually do this with and then applying that criteria to the actual hands you play. Well, that's actually you kind of started the next question I was going to ask. I know Joe's got one coming up next, but um, I find that there's this gap and we talked about this last week as well, a little bit of gap between knowledge and application. And sort mm-hmm. of we we learn all these lessons and we feel like we have all these factors that we know we should weigh. But then in this in the on the tables in the real moment, we kind of have a hard time weighing which course of action to take. Um, and this is a hard thing to prepare for other than just playing the hands and getting those reps in. Uh, mm-hmm. When you talk about like going over hands in advance, like what, what's what's a good practical way that we can kind of ingrain some of this thinking into ourselves uh, while we're not on the felt? So a good way to engrave it would be, I think, well, it's kind of like learning how to study when you're in high school or college. You, The teacher just presents the material and you can just write it down and hope you remember it come test time or you can find a way that really works for you. What really worked for me was when it came to studying anything was just making flashcards. When you see X, it typically means Y. And then just flipping through through those flashcards consistently and making sure that you have those situations really engraved down. Now, obviously with poker, there's a visual element because the stacks change, the situations change, the play of the hand changes. So uh, something a lot of websites do offer quizzes as Mm. a way you can test yourself. I think that's a really good way to do it uh, yourself. I, I definitely, when I'm coaching, I do everything in a quiz format because that's really good because let's say there's eight concepts you need to learn that particular day and seven of them you just tear through. You do a great job at. It's really good to catch yourself in the one you had no idea what to do with because then you can back up and then go, okay, what is it about this situation primarily that's tripping me up? Let's focus on that today. And the more you keep finding situations that trip you up and the more you solidify those concepts, the better you're going to do. Mm, I like that. Um, now that you're coaching a lot more, you still do you feel like you kind of have to stay current on what, you know, the poker strategy of today is? Or do you feel like it's more important to kind of stick to the fundamentals that are going to be the key to sort of like beginner and intermediate play? Oh, that's a fantastic question. So I actually have worked with GTO coaches, GTO coaching, and I found that just fascinating, just as someone who's done this for nearly 20 years. Uh, So it's just fascinating to see what things we missed for all these years, what Mm. bluffs are actually just perfect when you actually think about the ranges critically. But when it comes to, let's say you're playing uh, low stakes cash, for example, low stakes cash is very chaotic and most of the pots are multi-way and you need to be thinking on your feet because in multi-way, GTO becomes obviously much more fragile mm. because if you just if you twist anything, it changes the whole hand out. And a lot of the times you're going to have to think on your feet and realize, OK, this person is doing something that's maybe not the greatest idea for them, but they're not directly dumping equity to me. They could actually be 
doing something that gets me a little bit out of hand. I need to realize what is it? Is this person just raising this guy who led into a multi-way pot because he doesn't like him? Is that going to freeze me out with my top pair weak kicker? <laughs> Should I actually take this seriously? And I mean, these are things I just, you know, you got to be thinking about pretty actively when you're playing. And I, a lot of the times physical reads become super important as the stacks get deeper and as multi-way pots get more chaotic because anything can happen at any time during those really, I don't know what the word would be, very uh, chaotic games, I guess, for lack of being able to repeat the word. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. Um, Chris, I think you had something and then uh, Joe has a question after that. I just have a couple uh, questions from the from the YouTube chat. Um, so, Alex, kind of following up on the idea of flashcards, um, I think uh, Steve from the chat asked, interesting, so does Alex encourage his students to do some sort of warm-up before they play? Uh, do, do you do that yourself? Do you do any kind of, like, refresher? I mean, you're probably so experienced at this point that you maybe don't need to, but do you recommend that maybe your students do some kind of level of warm-up with that kind of, like, kind of getting themselves framed to play? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I still do warm-ups before I play. So a lot of the times my warm-up is just doing a lesson in the morning because I'll do a lesson and then I'll play. And just doing the lesson will remind me of the fundamentals because we go over that. I have to go over them in so many lessons. And it that really helps me when I'm at the table because I think to myself, okay, what would you tell your students if they were in this situation? And <laughs> as opposed to just following you know, because everybody gets emotional, myself included. There's a lot of times you just want to call on the river because you can't accept that once again, you've been rivered. Whereas if you have fundamentals in place before you get there, you think to yourself, okay, what would I tell my friends if they were in this situation? If this hand came up in a discussion group, what would we say? And you just go from that point on. Uh, so what I would recommend them doing is just doing quizzes on any site that offers it for 15 minutes. I think that's a really good way to wake yourself up. I myself offer quizzes through my training services, just uh, streaming videos that you can watch. I, but really, what you don't want to do is just watch something on YouTube that's not critical. You want something that's pushing you to some degree because that somewhat makes you wake up and then that will help you play a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, and actually, I I love some of your content for that because I, I I it's one of these things where like well, thank you you do those some of those quizzes and it's like oh I I thought I understood this but then when you actually ask me and like I'm like I have to think about it I'm like <laughs> maybe I don't understand it as well as I thought. Um, right. Ben Ben has one other question from the chat. Um, there are so many online MTTs these days. Ben asks, what are the most important things to look at when it comes to game selection? Online MTTs with game selection. So essentially, if you're not playing super high stakes, I, I, if you're playing a $50 buy-in with five 500 runners, you're most likely going to be okay most of the time. But if you're playing, a general rule I've noticed is the better the software, the tougher the player pool is. Because regulars who want to play lots of tables are attracted to more solid software. So mm. my best site, my highest win rate is on a site where the time banks are like five seconds. I'm always <laughs> folding out. I'm constantly fighting with my monitor. I'm yelling at myself. But it all works out at the end of the day because the players on that site tend to be more casual because when the site is set up that way, you can really only play a couple of tables at a time. You can't just massively multi-table, get your rake back and pay your rent. 
Yeah, good, good stuff. I like that. And people talk about that a lot, how you sort of have to find the off the mainstream player pools and sites to really, you know, be in the best games, which makes sense. Absolutely. 90% of your job is table selection. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Mr. Joe Coolis. <laughs> so it's great to talk to you, Alex. I've um, uh, followed your book since the very beginning of my own nascent poker career. Um, and uh, I'm going to say that to anybody that has a chance to particularly watch the videos, they're they're fantastic to watch. And I'm giving you that plug. Everybody should spend the $600 or whatever they cost. That's my plug because I'm going to give you a little not it's not a criticism but it's a when i first started doing your stuff um it lost me a lot of money because i would inappropriately use it different ways and you do one of the things that i find somewhat um uh concerning about the way the poker is is marketed um which is use the word crush in a lot of your in a lot of your videos and i understand that's a marketing ploy but you're also an individual who spent the time in your book to point out to a lot of people that uh, and I think the number that you quoted was an average grinder makes about $50,000 over the course of a year and kind of seemed to work pretty hard to give people a more realistic idea of what the, the lifestyle is like, which is something that's actually pretty important to me. I'm a, I'm a psychologist and, and making sure people have understanding of things. So when you're working with your low stakes, uh, low stakes and mid stakes grinders, how do you manage kind of their expectations about how well they'll be able to play given that the reason that your stuff didn't work for me in the beginning is because I didn't understand the totality of everything I needed to keep an eye on at the table. And that just takes time and a lot of effort to get there. So how do you manage those expectations with your, with your uh, students so that they have realistic goals as they try to progress through poker and for some of them make it a career? Oh, that's a fantastic question. So first of all, most of my students uh, find me through the books. So I really do work hard in the books to make clear how poker works as much as possible as far as the finances and as far as how difficult it is to make it a profession. I wrote a book about the 100 biggest mistakes that poker players make, and I made the number one mistake going pro when you don't need to. You have, <laughs> a, hu you may, you have a huge weapon if you do not go pro and you have income from another resource, but if you have income from another job. because when any professional is deep in a tournament, of course, it's going to be in the back of their mind, like, hey, this is how I pay my bills. If you want to make sure you can still pay the groceries, pay the mortgage, et cetera, you got to perform right now. And just like you'll see in professional sports, some people shine with that kind of pressure and other people crumble under that kind of pressure. Whereas if you can play poker with money you can afford to lose and do it as recreation, just like when you go on a skiing trip, it's not the cheapest thing in the world. You don't expect to make money. You expect to have a good time. You can do the same thing with a poker trip. If you see things from that kind of perspective, you're going to have far fewer limits as you get deeper in a tournament. You're going to be able to do things on your terms and engage by your rules. And that's a huge asset when perhaps maybe the pro who's been having a couple of rough years is really thinking about their deep run. Now, as far as naming the products with crush and stuff like that, I thought that was fun. I thought everybody saw that as tongue in cheek. I, I could definitely see how you do have to have some caveat emptors, if that's the highfalutin word for uh, buyer beware. But yeah. Uh, I, yeah, is that it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. But you do have to 
I do try to, in the material, make it clear, okay, do this. This does, this does work. This has always worked for me, but I, I wouldn't just stake everything on it just yet. You got to really work up to that. The vast, the vast majority of people who play poker do not beat the rank. And that's usually because they're just not even focusing on their game. And the amount of work it takes to get from just being a basic winner to actually the type of person who can sustain themselves off of poker is a tremendous amount of work. So I, I have in my materials tried to. So in my materials about cash games, I specifically say all the time, okay, this is for small stakes games. You know, don't try to take mm. this to the biggest games in Las Vegas. It's not going to work. Uh, don't take this to the toughest games online. It's not going to work. This is so you can, uh, if, if you cherry pick your games well, and maybe you can find some games where people are playing a little higher than they should, it should go well for you, but this is made for small stakes games. So I appreciate your feedback though. That is really helpful. It, it's a look, you're not any different than anybody else in the poker world. Uh, everybody uses the term and, and it rotates around. I do think that, um, you know, when you look at what people's expectations are about the game, oftentimes they just they just don't understand it. It's like, you know, it, they see so much about how you can crush and you can win. And they really don't recognize that six bid blinds per hundred in the cash game online is really destroying it. But that's like a small amount of money compared to what what the expectation is. So it's, right. it's not a crusade entirely and you're you're not you're not the only one but i do find it interesting and ask many people about it so thanks of for the course. answer i appreciate it you're welcome um so that, and one thing we stress on this show a lot is you know how you can enjoy poker more as a recreational player if you if it's something that you do for fun that you're not depending on it for your revenue um we've talked about how maybe like i personally i wouldn't tell someone to take up mtt uh life as a pro right now i just think if you're if you've got what it takes to to make it as an mtt pro you can probably do something else that you'll find less frustrating but you could absolutely make it playing cash you know mm -hmm. playing live cash there's definitely uh, uh a lot of people out there that are worse at cash that like playing it um and like so sasha for instance is a a live pro in vegas and she plays cash full-time um and i always sort of want to kind of uh bring in this this disparity between like the variance of like large field mtt play and the sort of um more realistic expectation um from from playing cash uh sasha i, I didn't want to tee you up for the wrong question but i know you had something you wanted to ask no that's fine um alex it's so i i feel so much joy right now just hearing you talk about the game um i first met alex in 2017 i threw a party for tommy angelo in new york city at this beautiful <laughs> dive bar on saint mark's place called grassroots which is no longer there alex walks in i didn't know who he was and then after i said to tommy I go oh who's alex he goes seriously <laughs> so um i so enjoyed just getting just be, knowing coming you know getting to know you from that moment to this and i want to shout out for alex's newsletter um i'm connected to it through email i mean i get it through email and he also posts on twitter um i pay attention to very little content at this point in my poker career and my journey so-called alex's content is some of the content i pay attention to and his new newsletter is beautifully written 
and and so helpful um, and very eye level and actionable advice. So I want to shout out for the newsletter, Alex. My question is this, and this is absolutely not a trick question. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, seriously, you're making me so happy. I just love hearing you talk about this stuff. It's so great. Uh, yeah, the chaos of low stakes cash is like, um, and it's also fun because like a lot of the 5, 10 and 10, 20 players in Vegas, like they slum the two five games. So you can imagine those dynamics. Oh my anyway, God. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. It's less like three hour conversation. But anyway, um, <laughs> so you wrote recently, you know, how do you know you're in a good game? How do you know you're in a bad game? Right. A good game you wrote, there's talking, there's laughing, limping, multi-way pots, we can shown down. Um, blah, blah, blah. The discussion of strategy is basic. No one's taking the game too seriously. Then you wrote, how do you know when you're in a bad game? Well, there's less talking. Players are re-raising frequently. Most of the pots see a player firing multiple barrels. You know, get out of these games if you can (laughs) and find another (laughs) table. You wrote, find another casino, do something. Don't waste your time. And when I read that, uh, I'm focused on the joy factor in live cash, right? I know what that feels like. I know when it's present and I know when it's not. I know when I happen to sit down at a table full of five, 10 players slumming the two, five moment. Um, uh, if I want to be the bug rather than the windshield, maybe I'll stay at that table for a little bit. Cause I'm always learning, but would you qualify what you're saying in this newsletter? Because in my experience of Vegas thus far, the vocabulary, the five ten vocabulary, is the more aggressive vocabulary and up the food chain, as you're well aware, right? So the constant three betting it becomes um, almost I, uh, compulsive at times. There, it's a blind strategy. I don't see. I see players just engage it. What it, what I experience is them engaging it uh, without real thought or analysis. It's just robotic almost they have to three that they cannot Mm -hmm. they have to three that so what you wrote about um the the good games where players are having fun there's more tourists there's more uh recreational there's more rec players there's more you know folks just having fun with the game um would you would you offer a qualification to your newsletter that that the question of a lot of three betting pre um is is not uh it's, that's really like if I sit a five ten table, that's going to be the norm. And I've seen the occasional joyous five ten table here, not often. Um, but would you qualify that? Am I clear in my question? Yeah, as in, if there is three betting, can the game be beaten? Should we just be prepared for that at some occasion? Is that what you meant? I guess is my. Would you qualify this as saying that uh, you're saying if you're seeing um, just a tremendous amount, like a tremendous amount of preflop aggression, get out of those games? But that vocabulary really defines higher the 510 and higher. Oh, I see what you're saying. So so generally the vast majority of people who read my newsletter and if you do want to sign up for the newsletter go to pokerheadrush.com and you can sign up for it there. The vast majority of people who read my newsletter are playing the 1325 and usually they have a choice of games because those games at those levels there does tend to be really soft tables but yeah once you're getting to 510 and whatnot you're going to have to deal with a lot of three betting that's just going to be something you're going to have to face and that doesn't mean the table isn't soft oftentimes i i've noticed like you said it can just be a compulsion where you're at a a a table where people really fancy themselves 
good players and they're three betting quite often, but they're not three betting big enough and they're still giving you odds to hit your hand and they have a really hard time letting go in a big pot when you do hit your hand, even in a three bet pot. So yeah, there can definitely be points of profitability in that in those games if you look for the right ones. I, I guess you're just trying to, as you put it, find games where people are just indiscriminately three betting as opposed to mm. doing it with I, I guess more of a practice patience for lack of a better uh, way to put it. So yeah, I guess that would be more applicable to low stakes games. That av- advice, I probably should have qualified that more. That's a great question. Well, it's interesting because I did run into a pal at the Bellagio a few weeks ago and I felt like I always feel like I just walk around with all my, my nerves, my basket of nerves playing live all the time and no one else is nervous, just me, right? My beautiful narcissism, you know, <laughs> but I ran into a pal who's just a, you know, very accomplished, uh, you know, five ten player. And he, he came over to the Bellagio and he was like, yeah, I sat down, you know, I just really wanted to play. And then there's like these two 10, 20 crushers at the table and I'm never going to see flop. And he just literally got up and left and went to the cage and cashed out. Just he was gone. You know, I just love that. I just love being reminded that like kind of at every level, you know, in Vegas, as you well know, there's just like the collective, the beauty of let's let me qualify this beautifully. The beauty of the collective testosterone in these rooms is a beautiful thing. Let me keep saying that (laughs) word. It's pretty, it's pretty tiring. So, but I love that even, even the, even the fellows ahead of me, you know, they're, they're freaked out a little bit too sometimes. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Or just, maybe there's just not as much money there. There's, there's easier money to be made in different places. And there's, there's nothing wrong with trying to find those games that are going to better serve you. You don't have to prove anything to anyone It all. When you go to Kroger and buy your wonder bread, they don't go, did this money come from the one, three table or did it come from the two, five table? It it all spends the same at the end of the day. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Our YouTube uh, chat section is blowing up here. Uh, Chris, I think you had uh, a couple questions you wanted to bring in. Uh, yeah, actually, I have, I have my own question uh, for, for That's this allowed one. Too. Um, Alex, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about your content is um, I think the, the game has expanded so much in terms of study tools and um, knowledge of even GTO practices. There's tools like GTO Wizard out there that are just like blowing up and people have access to it and they're kind of able to learn like they've never learned before. But then I think that what happens is you have these like really high level concepts that start to trickle down as conventional wisdom into sort of beginner level, early um, sort of even intermediate poker players who maybe don't understand the full logic behind it. Um, and like I remember reading because I had always, you know, and I, I had always heard the conventional wisdom of when somebody limps and there's multiple limpers behind it, you know, you raise, um, you know, and you add one, you know, you raise, you raise, but you add one for every limper behind and sort of that way. And, but you had this piece that talked about why, why aren't we, why, when we're in these games where there are all these limpers and all they want to do is see flops, why aren't we raising bigger? Why aren't we, you know, going, why is this, this conventional wisdom that might work at like a, a hundred K table where there i don't know there might be limps going on there um why are we doing this when we're in these sort of smaller stakes tournaments so i'm wondering if maybe you can just talk about the conventional wisdom that goes from like maybe if people are watching and appreciating and admiring 
really high level play, really high stakes games, and then trying to apply that into their like, you know, hundred dollar daily tournament or their one, two, one, three cash game. What are some of the things that you see as some of the biggest kind of like errors that players are taking as they try to like maybe admire or learn from those really high level players? Well, the best way I could put it, that's an excellent question. The best way I could put it, I was talking about this with one of my friends. I really wish I could remember who, because a lot of the stuff I teach you guys comes out of discussions with my students and my friends, and they're very helpful. And one thing we were talking about was, okay, let's say it's 3 a.m., you're playing poker, and a guy comes out of the club, and he is drunk as all hell. He struck out at the club, and he is very frustrated. And no matter what you raise to pre-flop, he is calling because he is seeing flops. Literally every single hand he's going to call with and see the flop. There's not a GTO practitioner alive who is not going to actively exploit this situation. They will make it 20x with aces and they'll make it 2x with 5-7 suited just to see the flop. And They'll do that because that is how you maximize your profitability in this super strange situation. Now, what I think happens is a lot of people are really worried about, okay, eight out of nine people at this table are going to know I have aces when I make it 20x here. That makes me really exploitable. But we only need to get one person to pay us off. So that isn't the worst thing in the world. And I guess what really I think it what definitely helped me back in poker was not wanting to do something that would look stupid to many people at the table but would work versus one player I was trying to exploit instead of opening my mind to can I exploit this person is this what they're very susceptible to I I would just do the routine play every time because I just didn't want to be criticized. And that's what really held me back. And that's what really led me to this journey of, wait, can we do this? There's certain people I play with when the flush draw misses the turn, they're not folding top pair or second pair, even if I bet the size of the pot, just because they immediately want to put everybody on a missed draw. Now, that could look really obvious to someone who notices hey, this person bets pretty normally in a lot of situations, but versus this one player is betting really large uh, every time the draw misses. Yeah, it could be obvious to them, but we're really asking ourselves, what's going to make the most money in this particular situation that is taking place at this particular point in time? And that's somewhat of the art form of No Limit Hold'em because obviously no no two hands are alike. Uh, Hands that take place four minutes between each other can be vastly different. And it's hard to put ourselves in those gray zones where we could make huge errors by going off the beaten path. But that's often where the path of greatest profitability lies. Yeah. And uh, just to speak to that, Alexander, you've always talked about um, exploiting the players at the table, you know, like not you've got a lot of good math based exploits in your teachings. And, you know, if the if this guy's raising this frequency of the time and this person's three betting this frequency of a time, uh, just put that four bet in when you have an ace in your hand and you know it's right. going to be profitable. You know, like I love that kind of stuff. But you've always co- sort of tailored your um, techniques to take advantage of the mistakes people are making at the table. And that feels like um, a really important thing to, to, to consider. We only play against the people that are actually at the table. 
Um, Chris, you had a question, I think, related to that in the YouTube chat. Yeah, well, and so this is kind of related um, in terms of how how we approach, um, you know, maybe some of the the lower stakes tournaments and that kind of thing. Uh, Steva again asks, uh, I love that you mentioned physical reads. Um, are you a believer in the usefulness of live tells? In my experience, coaches seem to be on one side of the fence or the other regarding this subject and the, and its overall usefulness and how much time and effort we should sort of like take in sort of studying and like learning about how, you know, how to read people and that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. I'm a huge believer in live tells. It's, uh, I mean, I, some of the biggest pots I've ever won were off of live tells that. I just couldn't believe I could get, and I, I definitely had to. Uh, I had to work with uh, people who specialize in live tells to remove them from myself. I had to study live tells material to find tells that I had myself, and that was very helpful at the table. No, there was one time I was playing up in Montreal. I tell this story in uh, one of my books, but I, I noticed this one player. He had an overpair in one pot, and. He looked really bored during that pot. He looked like he was waiting to get his oil changed. And I saw that and I thought to myself, oh, that's interesting because some people just get their heart rate up anytime they have any big pair. So that was something to note. And then him and I played a pot and he actually picked a really good bluff spot. He triple barreled and I knew he was capable of bluffing, but I also knew he could play. He he was he was playing very good that day. He could also just play top pair second kicker for extreme value. So I was stuck. I was completely stuck because I thought I can give this person so many value combinations. I can give them uh, so many bluff combinations. But then I I tried to smile at him and egg him on and he tried to smile back and he looked really uncomfortable. And I thought, well, hold on. Th- this guy was cool as a cucumber when he had an overpair and now he looks pretty dialed up. So then I decided okay, that's either top set and he's super excited about his hand or he just totally bricked here. And there's more combinations of bricks than there are of sets. So I just called with my second pair and I ended up winning a really nice size pot in a WPT. So that in a lot of the times when I've made bad calls in my life, I didn't have a tell I pointed at. I worked through the hand just trying to use nuts and bolts, X's and O's, facts and figures. And I was lost. And instead of just going, okay, you're lost, don't put the money in, I went with the quote unquote correct play. Like, no, I'm supposed to call down here if he's capable of these bluffs. And truth being, a lot of people have a hard time bluffing in critical situations. So maybe I should have doubted they were capable of that a little bit more. So yeah, when I think about a lot of the best pots I've ever played, most of them featured a physical talent. And most of them featured, quite honestly, me paying much better attention that day. Mm. And most of the worst pots I played, it was I wasn't paying great attention. I wasn't putting my best foot forward. And I was playing more of a gambling style game than the game I should have been playing, the more workmanlike game that I could have kept in front of me. That's that's a great answer. And I, I think, you know, paying attention is one of those like unsexy skills that we all have to cultivate to be better at poker. We have to like study some of the math, which is not sexy. We have to table select well, which is not sexy. And we need to work as work on like paying attention. And it's just these are boring skills that make you successful, not just in poker, folks, but like work on these things. It, it, Absolutely. Help you. Absolutely. Joe, did you want to jump in there? 
Yeah, I'm sexy at everything I do. I just, I just <laughs> that's clear. So. Fair point. Personal, personal company accepted. Personal company accepted. Um, so we've got one more, and this kind of ties into the question uh, from Eric Ebsen here in the uh, YouTube chat, and then we're going to wrap it up here. Um, so, uh, oh, and also, folks in the YouTube chat, I need three poker players. Type. I need the names of three poker players. Just type some poker players' names into the YouTube chat so we can use them for a game with Alex at the end here. Go. Give, give me big poker player names. I'll explain why in just a second. Okay, continue. Okay. Okay, so you heard of, yeah, I want to see some big poker player names in the YouTube chat here. So uh, this is from Eric. Um, earlier in the conversation, we were talking about, like, not playing not as a professional, but as a recreational player. Um he says, so it, isn't it the opposite um, that we have a, 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 an edge in that area? Because if we're playing with other income, we may not take things as seriously. We might not put as much of ourselves into uh, the study of poker or into the application of poker. Um, do you feel that that disconnect exists or is there something that we can do as serious amateurs to not feel that gap when it comes to how seriously we take the material? Oh, that's a great question. So, uh, well, let's use that skiing analogy we had before. So obviously skiing costs a lot of money and you can do it recreationally. And there's different ways you could approach skiing. So you could just go up to the mountain and do the same hills that you always do and never really push yourself. And you'll still have a great time doing that. You just won't get better. And that's fine because some people don't want to do black diamonds. Some people would rather not risk their ankles like that. And then there's other people that they find they get a little bit more when they put time into it. So they pay for skiing instructors, they work on smaller skills, and then they work their way up to Black Diamond. I think it's completely up to you what kind of poker player you want to be. If you want to be recreational, I think that's totally fine because if you, yeah, you will have an edge just being able to if you can constantly get back in the game because you have income coming from another source, it's kind of like being the Terminator. There's just no way to keep you away. It's just going to keep coming <laughs> back and back and back and back. And that's totally fine. I still think you have somewhat of an edge there. Just remind yourself, you're probably going to enjoy yourself more if you take it seriously once you're there. And afterwards, you can let it go, go eat at the buffet, have a night out on the town. Whatever happened, happened. We don't need to keep thinking about it. But when you're at the table, do try to put your best effort out there because I've always found that's when I have the most fun with poker. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it's it's up to each of us to decide like what what are our goals for this? Is it to maximize the return on our investment or is it to, you know, do well but also have fun? And, you know, I think that's up to each of us. That's one of the things I love about being uh, a recreational player. Um, Sasha, you had uh, something there. Very quickly, Alex, I wanted to say I love hearing you talk about the game because you're able to talk about a very complex game with the absence of what I call poker nerd speak. Okay. And I <laughs> deeply you. appreciate that about you. Finally, what you say about what I call the tribalism in poker, like the race I should be this and don't do that because it seems obvious. I saw a guy at the Aria several months ago and he just um he shipped his entire stack pre-flop. That's what he did. He bought in for a thousand. He got dealt aces like the second hand and he just put his stack in. Okay. <laughs> so you're sitting there going like, who plays like this? But you know what? How many players called him? One. That's all he needed. No, but he seriously. No, he came question, to play. Let's get the money you know, this in. This question of anti-tribalism, like 
You don't want to look stupid. Well, that guy just, he like won a thousand dollars in 10 minutes and then he like took a little break and then he came back, you know, whatever. But I don't, I see that kind of stuff, variations on that theme all the time to your point about just getting outside of the box. It's great. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed that. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to play Steak Study Stack. This is a new segment that uh, our our guy Eric Jin introduced on the show. Um, So there used to be a game when we were growing up called... uh, Yeah. uh, yeah, (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Okay. (laughs) So you're going to be... I'm going to give you three names. You can stake one of these players. You can study with one of these players, or you can stack one of them at the tables. Okay. 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 I'm going to give you a buyer beware. For a professional poker player, I follow poker probably less than any other poker professional (laughs) because I, like yesterday, I taught for two hours in the morning. I did uh, an 11 hour session. I woke up today. I taught again. Then I wrote uh, in something. If I put poker on my TV while I was hanging out with my girlfriend after doing all of that, she would probably kill me, you know what I mean? Given how many hours I already devoted to poker. So I'm going, I might be the literal worst pro for this game. I'm just letting you know. So anyway, let's, let's hear the the three names you got. If, if if things go perfectly smoothly on this show, we know something's gone terribly wrong. So I always look for a way to like, let's jazz it up with something kind of interesting and off the rails a little bit. And this has been going very smoothly so far. So we're kind of due okay. some off the rails. Okay. okay. All right. So steak, study, stack. Steak, study, Matt, stack. Matt Berkey, Stephen Chidwick, Isaac Haxton. Oh, my God. Yeah, good one, right? We got him. We got him, guys. Oh, we got him. Oh. All three I want to study with. Yeah. <laughs> Every single one of them, I would jump at it. Yeah, no, we're names. making it tough. We're making it tough. Okay, okay. So the options are stack, study, steak. Okay. Yes. Those three names, Matt Berkey, Stephen Chidwick, Isaac Haxton. Steak Haxton. Study with Chidwick. And I guess you got to stack Berkey. That's right. You got to stack somebody. You it's know, just, it's a tough it's game. Just, that's just like the other game. Oh my God, where you always get to the last option. <laughs> Wait, hold up. I want to do the same with two. No, that's not how the game not works. Allowed. No, not yeah, allowed. Not allowed. Oh my God. But no, they're all fantastic. That would, uh, nice. I'd love to study all of them. Yeah, no, that's a, no, oh, no, yeah, that's a, that's it's a really good one. Yeah, all of them I'd love to study with. They're, they're about their study. You know what I mean? They got, they're about it. So yeah, I'd, I'd be all about that. Nice. I've stopped putting Phil Hellmuth in the group of three because everyone just wants to stack him. Like it's not even a mystery <laughs> anymore. So we're, I'm going to have to start people uh, telling new names in. If I could get Hellmuth to actually level with me about live tells, I'd love to do that because I bet he's got a few. He's got to have a <laughs> yeah, couple. He's with got the, to. <laughs> with, the, with the big fields, he must see something in some of the low stakes players. I'd love to hear him. Yeah, but I, I see why you don't put him in the game. <laughs> All right. Well, we're getting to the end of the show here. I want to remind our YouTube chatters that we're going to do a prize a little later on in the show to uh, help support food banks around the world. Um, And we're going to talk to Alex again, just get some information from him about where he can be reached and what we can do to to improve his life. Um, First, we're going to just close out the interview with here, our speed round. We call this closing the action. And Alex, I'm just going to fire some, some prompts at you. And I want the quickest, honest response don't think about it. Just whatever's in, whatever's behind those eyelids at the time. That's what I want to know. Okay, you ready? All right, let's do it. All right, we're going to start super easy. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite poker hand? Uh, 
10-3 offsuit. Long story. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, biggest poker pet peeve? Lecturing people at the table and making the game not fun. <laughs> is poker a gamble or a skill game? It is both. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Die Hard is definitely a Christmas movie. <laughs> What's your favorite poker venue? Uh, favorite poker venue? Ooh. It was the Rio because I had so many memories there, but that's mm-hmm. changed. I don't know what to mm-hmm. say now. <laughs> that's okay. And you can say pass. You can always say yeah. pass. Oh, uh, the casino in San Remo where I had my biggest score. Let's go nice. with that. Nice. Uh, who is your poker nemesis? Everyone's got one. Don't lie. Uh, my ne- It's probably my friends because I'm just always trying to be competitive with them when I play with <laughs> them. So, I mean, when uh, I... <laughs> You know what? I don't have a nemesis, man. I love all of them. There you go. That's fair. What is your favorite childhood family holiday meal? Oh, it's Thanksgiving. I pick out. I can eat, man. I love to eat. (laughs) Uh, Yellow light coming up. Do you slow down or speed up? (laughs) Slow down. (laughs) Who's your favorite musical artist? Oh, off the top of my head. Got to be. Band I've probably listened to over the last 20 years the most is a band called Longwave, indie rock mm-hmm. band from uh, New York. And yeah, I got to meet them at one of their concerts. Coolest people ever. Yeah, just got have so many memories associated with them. Such good, feel good music. I'd really recommend it to anybody who is into that kind of music. All right. Uh, should vacations be lazy or busy? Lazy. What's your favorite mix game? You know what, man? I don't play the mixed games that much, so I'm going to pass. No. Throw the pass yeah. out there. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. What, what player type are you? Oh, uh, player type? I take what the table gives me. So Whoa, some, good. Some days I don't get to do much, and some days I get to play every hand. It depends on the situation. Is a hot dog a sandwich? A hot dog is not a sandwich. <laughs> are you pro-chop or no-chop? No-chop. What's your favorite color? Red. And the last question, this doesn't have to be related to poker, but it has to be honest. Looking back on your whole life, what's one thing you would do differently? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. Oh, man. That's you a good one. Take your time with this one. Take your time with this one. I would have. You know what? I uh, When I started playing the game, I took a lot of risks. And I went to a lot of places and I played a lot of games that were a little above my head. And there was certainly a danger with that. Mm -hmm. And, but I learned a lot from it. And those lessons have really done well for me. I really wish I had pushed it just a couple more years because I feel like I was really close to some big wins, some big results, but you know, I, I took my foot off the gas, the game changed, and I had to work really hard to catch up with it again. It took me a long time to get to mm. a place where I felt really, really comfortable at a poker table again. So, yeah, I really wish there was a time I felt just like I was getting after it, like I was doing a great job. I, I was doing well at the table every time I played, and then I took my foot off the gas. I really wish I hadn't done that. Great, great question. And uh, thanks for playing along. I just did some quick math. You got four correct, which is a really high score. Uh, that's great. <laughs> great work. Um, and thank you for playing along with us there. That was that was really good. 
Um, all right, uh, folks, you can start typing the words food bank into the YouTube chat. We're going to say goodbye to Alex here soon, and then we'll draw a winner um, to support our fight against food insecurity around the world. Um, Alex, we're going to put some links in the show notes uh, for how folks can get in touch with you. Uh, but what would if, if we could if, if the audience could subscribe to something or buy something or review something or email you somewhere like what what, what would you prefer our fans and audience do uh, to, to support what you're doing in poker right now? Yeah, if you guys want to uh, follow my newsletter, go to www.pokerheadrush.com. Uh, that URL again, pokerheadrush.com. Sign up for the newsletter. And it's a daily free strategic newsletter. You'll get poker tips every single day. Even when I do pitch one of my training products, if you go to the actual training package site, there's usually a free 30-minute episode, 60-minute episode on it. So you can go ahead and check those out even on the days I'm selling something. I'm Poker Head Rush on all the socials. Be sure to follow me there. If you want to get a hold of, of me for private lessons, write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com. All right. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure if you're listening along uh, at home, folks, just check the show notes and um, you'll find a way to get in touch with Alex. Alex, this has been a long time coming. Um, thank you so much for being so open with us and so free with your time and uh, to share some of this great, fantastic poker knowledge that you've got. Um, I really appreciate it. And I hope we get a chance to talk to you again sometime real soon. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. That's it. The one and only Alex Assassinato Fitzgerald. We finally got him, folks. We got him here on the Rec Poker Podcast. So um, how exciting uh, is that? Um, we're going to be going through some new home game results coming up next. Uh, John Somsky. Um, actually, I guess I should shout out. Um, we're in November by the time this episode comes out. So I hope everyone had a fantastic Halloween. Um, it is going to be the Big Turkey uh, tournament at Running Aces from November 9th through 12th. That's right around the corner. It's an $800 buy-in, and it's going to be a lot of fun. They also have their Black Friday free roll coming up on November 24th. That's a free buy-in with $5,000 added to the prize pool, and I believe there's a $10 add-on or rebuy element that goes into that as well. We did a forums episode earlier this year kind of talking about some strategies you might enjoy uh for these kinds of tournaments i hope people go and enjoy that and then finally coming up at the end of the month from november 30th to december 10th the mid-states poker tour is going to be running multiple events at running aces so i would encourage everyone to head on over to runaces.com and find out some um, details about some upcoming tournaments that are going to be over there it's going to be a lot of fun i can't wait to get back there myself thank you running aces for all your support John Somsky, we had some home game results uh, recently. Let's shout out our winners. Well, we'll start off with XX Angry Fish XX got his or her first nightly victory for the year. Roadstar 33 got his fourth nightly victory for the year. Gopher Boy TJM got his oh first second nightly victory for the year. And then XX Angry Fish XX got his first daily mixed practice event victory for the year. Fortune NY Yamel got his Jamel got his there he first is. international victory for nice the year. To see you again, Jamel. Gilmar GLR two five nine Gilmar got his first international victory for the year. And then Benny the Jet sixty seven got his first LPP event 
Oh. So you can contact info at rec.poker for a free month at Learn Pro Poker. Wow. So so talk about the luck, the rich get richer. So this is Benny, who just joined our premium membership this weekend. So he used the code RECPOKER. He got his first month for only $5. He played in the home game on Sunday and won it. And now he's got a free month at Learn Pro Poker to go along with it. So congratulations, Benny. Um, I know you're listening. Thank you for your encouraging uh, messages, by the way. Uh, it's great to have you as part of our group here. Send me an email, please, info at rec.poker, and we'll get you all set up with your free month at Learn Pro Poker. Because like so many things we do here, it's uh, it's free to play, but the prizes are real. Uh, we are a largely volunteer-based organization. Most of what we do here is free. Um, so we really depend on the support of our premium members um, like like Benny and uh, Chris Jackson and over 100 other folks that uh, love uh, supporting what we do here with their $15 a month. And if you're at home and you're listening to this and you don't feel like being a premium member is the right fit for you, uh, go to rec.poker slash support and you can find a bunch of other ways to help us out, many of them without spending a dime. Uh, and we sure do and appreciate it. We sure need all the help we can get. Yes, John? I was just going to mention, I believe this is the third confirmed case where the first, very first uh, event that they played in, they won. Yep. So, you know, obviously the very first tournament we had was one of those. <laughs> and, you know, right. that was Taylor Moss. But it did happen Problem. one other oh, time. Do we I have remember. to? Why are we even no. mentioning that? What, what yeah. is that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it was Dana Craven's husband uh, uh, one the first one time that he played over the summer. Um, I don't know why that one stuck with me, but it's probably happened a few times. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it, it's it's three that I I know that there there have been at least three, but those are That's the only fantastic. three I remember. That's fantastic. All right, uh, Chris, we are going to do our Daiso Cam uh, roll here. So let me see. I'll just start at the top and make sure that we're not um, missing anybody. I see Jack LaRue is the first person in there. Stuart Carriage, Eric Ebsen, Evil Roy Slade, Chip Extractor, K-Poker Wannabe, Gibber222. That is seven. I think that's what we got. So you're going to roll an eight-sider? We got an eight-sider, and I'll re-roll re -roll. an eight. Okay. All right. Let's see well, who the go. winner is this week on the Chris Jones Daiso Cam. Uh, that is a one. It's, it's a, a one. It's like I was rolling roll. it. Yeah, I know. Uh, Jack LaRue. Jack is no stranger to the show. Uh, I'm so glad that a great guy like Jack gets to win. Um, Jack, send an email, please. Info at rec.poker. And if, uh, and it's just, I'll just tell everyone else one of these great prizes you can win. You can win a free month of premium membership here at Rec Poker. You can win a free month at Learn Pro Poker, at PokerCoaching.com, at Tournament Poker Edge, at a lot of our other learning partners. You can apply it towards coaching credits from our Wrecking Crew members. There's a lot of great uh, prizes you can win here for joining us on the podcast for free on Monday nights. So Jack, send that email, info at rec.poker. Um, if you're listening to this live, it's Monday, October 30th. Happy early Halloween. If you're listening to this on the day it comes out, it's Friday, the 3rd of November. Happy birthday to my brother, Stuart. And uh, if you're not Stuart, then you should come to Cleveland. I'm going to be in Cleveland uh, Friday, Saturday, and a bit of Sunday to kick off the Run Good uh, road trip out at Jack Casino, which is going to be a lot of fun. And then the following week, uh, Kim Kilroy is going to be there with some friends uh, right through until 
uh, the Tuesday, the 14th of November, where Rec Poker Nation will descend upon Council Bluffs, Iowa. This is going to be, I think, the final Run Good event that we participate in this year, but already looking forward to 2024. But from November 14th to 19th, there's going to be a ton of free events, strategy groups, uh, prep sessions, social events. We're going to go mini putting. Uh, We're probably going to have some meals together and maybe even tip back a few uh, cold beverages. You just never know what might happen at these run good events if you want to get more involved and join our uh and join our uh, our own rec poker road trip um send that email please you can email me directly jim at rec.poker and we'll make some plans to get together in council bluffs iowa i think that's going to be a lot of fun um is there anything else that we need to mention here folks we're also doing a, a trip to las vegas coming up at the beginning of december I'll be there myself from December 4th through 13th. We're going to be doing a, a meetup at the Poker Oasis with uh, Joseph and Tony. That's going to be a lot of fun. I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be hanging out with Sasha Sutton again. And hopefully we can get Rob Washam to jump across state lines and come have some fun over there as well. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're going to be in Vegas at all during that period of time, I think we even have an extra. I'm staying at Harrah's for that 10 days. And I need a roommate. I need a roommate for some of those nights. So if you want to visit Las Vegas for some part of the first two weeks of uh, of December, you know me. I'm not paying for the whole room just for myself. There's two beds in it. Someone fun. Come join me. Split the cost of the room. Let's uh, make the trip more affordable and have a lot of fun hanging out um, for this rec poker week down in Las Vegas. Okay. I'm getting abused here in the Zoom chat, which is perfectly appropriate and consistent. And I want to just thank our our YouTube chatters. I've had some real fun in these uh, these YouTube chats. It's way more fun if you're here live, partaking in the action. Get your questions into the guest. Uh, Oh, and awesome feedback here from uh, Eric as well. Eric's going to be coming down to uh, the Run Good event. It's his first one. We love to see that. Let's get the Rec Poker members uh, involved in some of these Run Good events. And it looks great to Run Good if a few people say, oh, yeah, I came with Rec Poker and it was my first time. So we love that story over here as well. <laughs> so thanks, Eric. I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting to know you a little better on that one. All right. Well, then I think, folks, we're just going to thank, uh, again, all the YouTube chatters. Um, some new fans that we've made there. Uh, Steve, the chip extractor, it's been great seeing you in there for the last few weeks. Thank you for the very kind words. Um, lots of ways to get more involved with what we're doing here, Steve. We're down in Vegas all the time. So um, let me know what uh, what's on your mind. Hopefully we can get together in person, maybe during that December trip. So thank you to Alex Fitzgerald. Uh, thank you to all our YouTube chatters, Chris Jones, Joe Coolis, Rob Washam, uh, Sasha Sutton, Sa- uh, Sasha Sutton, and John Somsky. I'm going to get there. Sorry, Sasha. It's Sasha. That's right. And thanks for you, the listeners at home. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, thanks for another great week. We'll see you soon on the Rec Poker Podcast. All right. Good night, everybody. <laughs>